This is Chris McGregor with information on how you can help Discerning Hearts continue our mission during our summer appeal. It costs $90,000 per year to keep things going, and praise God, we are over halfway there. Any donation, any amount, helps us to continue our work. Please prayerfully consider helping us. It's been a blessed year so far, thanks to the generosity of so many. We are funded 100% by those touched by the work of Discerning Hearts. So, between now and August 15th, if you can help with a donation or with your prayers, it would be greatly appreciated. You can donate by clicking on the link found on the DiscerningHearts.com website or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Thank you, and God bless, from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community dedicated to retreats and spiritual direction according to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He is also author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life. The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Gallagher, it seems to me that the way you've described the wonderful home of St. Therese that she was born into, that this really exemplifies what St. John Paul II called the domestic church, that this is an area where in the heart of the family, faith is nurtured, love is nurtured, hope is nurtured, all these virtues are nurtured in this interaction. And yet they're still very much in the world. I mean, they had to be, did they not, to be able to even sustain their businesses, but also to engage with their their family and friends. And yet they made a point of creating this space so that their children could be raised in such a beautiful environment. And I'd say there are two components of that. The most important is what they created within the home. And that was that faith, God, Jesus were very much at the center. The, the five children saw this evidenced in their parents. For example, they w- would rise to go to 5.30 Mass every morning, the beginning of these very busy days. And the way they prayed taught their children the faith, their prayers, their esteem for the Church, their fidelity to the various devotions, you know, when Lent would come in the various times of the year. God, Jesus, faith was very much at the center of this home. And without strain, because it was so authentic in the in both parents, and the daughters um, were very much drawn into that and imbibed it as children growing up with the results that are, are, are evident. So the main thing was what they created positively within the home. But as we already saw in one of these quotes from the daughters, they were also very careful to exclude any contrary influence from the home. So uh, they were very, very careful about that, so that the daughters grew up 
with a kind of appropriate and healthy innocence that was not taken away from them by harmful contacts. So much so that when Therese uh, finally, when they were now in Lisieux, she did begin her formal schooling at the Benedictine Abbey run by the sisters at the school there. For the first time, she encountered things like meanness and selfishness and these sorts of things which were unknown to her because the family was, was this loving family that, that it was. So you, you see, the parents concerned to do both things, put God at the center and with care remove the influences that could undermine that. Probably harder today because those influences are so much more invasive. But a parenting that would attempt to create the space in which the faith can be lived, deeply rooted, I think for the example of these two parents, would want to be attentive to both of those elements. I can't help but recall in the life of St. Teresa of Jesus, Teresa of Avila, where she says, watch out, just from her own experience, to be able to guard your children and watch out who their friends are, see the influences, because she saw the ill effect in her own life not being protected from that. It seems to be a a general consensus, no matter what era we find ourselves in, that this is a basic staple for raising an environment, ideally a healthy family, one that allows God's grace in the fullest form to be able to anoint the family? Would that be a way of saying that? Yes, and this is just a traditional thing in our whole spirituality. You know, if we move it to another notch, not just harmful influences, but bad influences, then we are always invited to avoid the near occasions of sin in our own lives and so on. And I'd say if we're responsible for others, then uh, we need to have an eye out for that to remove those today. So that would mean decisions that the wise parents would make about the internet and phones and tablets and television and and uh, social media, all of these kinds of things, which are pretty important today. What we're doing right now with podcasts indicates the uh, the richness of what can be done through these means, but they can also be used in a harmful way. And so especially children growing up obviously would need to be protected from that. When they are not, children are exposed too soon to too much. God's grace can do anything, so anything can be overcome. Nothing is impossible for God. I can do all things in God who strengthens me, as Paul says, but it's harder. So to, well, let's just take an illustration from Therese again. When she is speaking about the image of the flower, which was so, um, which she used so widely, of course she loved flowers uh, uh, very, very much. And uh, the different flowers in the Garden of Sanctity. You have a St. Mary Magdalene, who is a beautiful flower because of her repentance and holy life after a life of sinfulness. And she says that's a great love of God, that he would bring someone out of that and lead a person to such a life of love of God and holiness. But she said it's an even greater love when the parent, the father, seeing the stumbling block in the path of the person removes it before the person gets there. And that's what she is so grateful to for God in her own life. And that's an image, I think, of what a loving father and mother do. And certainly, uh, Therese's parents did that with great care. They were close to their children. They knew their lives. They were available to them. Of course, they had very busy lives themselves with their own businesses and 
everything else. But the children were always loved. The parents were always available when they needed them. And so they, because they were that close to them, they were able to help them in that way. Well, let's uh, pick up again with Celine, Therese's sister Celine, four years older than Therese, uh, speaking about their parents. Eternal life was the dominant concern of my parents. My mother once wrote to Pauline, the second of the daughters, I wanted to have many children so as to rear them for heaven. That sentence itself already says an awful lot about their mother. Whenever one of my little brothers or sisters died, her spirit of faith gave her such energy, and she was so consoled by the thought that these little angels were in heaven, that people around her said, quote, It is not worth commiserating with Madame Martin. She does not grieve over the death of her children, which was certainly not the case. If you read her letters, you see the deep, deep pain and sorrow that she had as he watched child after child die uh, so early in life. But her faith sustained her. These have entered eternal life. My, both my parents went to early Mass every day and received communion as often as they could. Both fasted and abstained throughout the whole of Lent, which was the practice until some years ago, the full 40 days. My father was wonderfully kind to his neighbors and never spoke the least evil of them. He made excuses for all their faults and allowed no criticism of them. Above all, he had a great esteem for priests. Our father loved his children very much. He had an almost maternal love for us. In fact, after the death of their mother, his daughters became almost simultaneously paternal and maternal. We, for our part, had an affectionate reverence for him that almost amounted to worship. He was especially fond of Therese, whom he called his little queen. But we found that quite natural and were not at all jealous. Besides, we were conscious of the fact that at heart he loved us all equally, nor did Therese take advantage of this affection for her own ends and so forth. So that's just a little word about both parents. Can I start? Well, let's move now to her mother's letters. This particular letter is from two years before Zelie's death, and it's a letter to her sister, who uh, there was a great closeness and love between uh, Zelie and her sister. Her sister entered religious life and was a nun at the visitation convent at uh, Le Mans, which was, oh, maybe 50 miles or so away from Alençon. As I say, there was a deep bond between them. Unfortunately, this is the the one letter of Zelie to her sister that has been preserved. It would have been a treasure to have the rest of these. Now, this is uh, two years before her death. Her cancer is not really in the picture at this. She's aware that something's not right, but it's not impeding anything. It's not serious at this point. And she has just been to Lisieux to visit with her daughters to visit her brother Isidore and her sister-in-law Celine. And she's describing this visit, Sister Marie Docité, which was the name and religion of Azélie's sister. I was delighted by our trip to Lisieux. Now, see what I mean about ordinary? This is a mother and her daughters who have been to taking her daughters to visit their uncle and aunt. I have a sister-in-law who has a kindness and sweetness that are incomparable. And you know, you, as you read these letters and get to know uh, Therese's aunt, Celine Guerin, uh, her uncle Isidore's uh, wife, you, really, you can't help but really come to appreciate her. 
he's just really does seem to have been a very, very warm and loving and good person. And a deep friendship developed between Celie and her sister-in-law, Celine. Marie, that's the oldest of the daughters, says that she doesn't know her to have any faults. And neither do I. I find that Isidore, in spite of all his problems and business struggles and so forth, is very happy to have such a wife. It would take a long time to tell you her virtues, but that will be for later. I assure you that I love her as much as a sister. She seems to feel the same way and shows my children an almost maternal affection. As I mentioned, in fact, uh, Celie would ask Celine, her sister-in-law, to take over the maternal role after her own untimely death. She showed them every possible attention and did everything to make our lives pleasant. If I seemed worried, she looked at me with sympathy. This seemed to hurt her. Marie quickly came over to say to me, Mama, please look more cheerful. My aunt thinks you're sad and she's hurt over it. I answered her, Leave me alone. I can't do better. And I reproached myself for it. One day we were in the countryside, so they take them out into the country outside of Lisieux. I went there reluctantly to accompany the others. Then we settled in a meadow to rest, and during this time my sister-in-law secretly went to prepare a snack for us, secretly because Zaylee just doesn't want her putting herself out. When she brought it to us, I was so upset at the trouble she went to. You know, every year you see this. Uh, her sister-in-law sends these wonderful gifts around Christmas time for the children, and every year, Zaylee responds the same way. She thanks her. She's so grateful, but you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> it bothers her when people put themselves out for her in any way like this. I was so upset at the trouble she went to that I was far from showing appropriate gratitude. She contented herself with laughing at my apparent coldness because she knows Zaylee. Oh, well, I'm truly not very pleasant. So she's very matter-of-fact about herself this way. She never puts herself on a pedestal. Fortunately, I'm still willing to admit it, exclamation point. But if I don't know how to show signs of affection, this is why I chose this letter. I feel the sentiments inside. I believe I wish for my brother's prosperity more than mine. Her, brother's, her brother was a pharmacist, and he had a pharmacy. He had started a drug business, and uh, they were struggling. At times, in fact, uh, Zaylee and Louis would help him even financially. Later, things went very well for Isidore. I believe that I wish for my brother's prosperity more than mine. I have a burning desire to see him happy. Him and his wife. I have a burning desire to see him happy, him and his wife, and I would be ready to make every sacrifice for their happiness. And she means it. That's the law of the gift. That's what I mean about the other centeredness. If I didn't have a home and children, I would live only for them, that is, for her uh, brother and sister in law and their family and I would give them all the money I earn. But since I can't do that, God will provide. Certainly people like them are bound to succeed, and I have complete confidence in them. Unfortunately, poor Isidore has made hardly any profit from his wholesale drug business, which he had just undertaken, and yet he works hard. This saddens me for him. So there you get just a, a little window into the great love and the, as I say, the self-forgetfulness and the self-giving of Celie. We'll return to the letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment.
Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Letters of St. Therese of the Sioux with Father Timothy Gallagher. This next letter is two years later, and uh, Celie, who is 45 at this time, is writing to her daughter Pauline, who was 14 and at the boarding school, their aunt, her sister, with the visitation nuns. A deep bond developed as the years went by, and Pauline got a little older between Celie and Pauline. So she writes, uh, I can't resist the desire to write to you today. This is going to do me good because I think about you all day long. Imagine her daughter receiving that. My memory of you isn't fading. It's just the opposite. I've never missed you so much. This is probably because you returned to school alone. Marie has finished her studies. Marie and Pauline were there together, but now Marie has finished her studies. She's back home and Pauline is alone of the daughters uh, at the school. Then you see, my affection for you is growing from day to day. You're my joy and my happiness. 
Oh well, I must reason with myself and not let my love grow too much, because if God was going to take you with him, what would become of me? Now you always get this in Zeline. She has seen so much in Zeline, so much suffering in her life, in her own upbringing, and then the repeated deaths that strike her family, that uh, she always lives with this sense that uh, things can be taken away. I mean, there is this side in her. She worries about things. Uh, she can be anxious about things uh, as a part of it, as, and very understandably, given this is what I mean about this is sanctity in its real sense. That's why I love these letters. Here is a woman of faith, a woman of prayer, a woman dedicated to her family, successful in her business work, um, anxious, suffering at times, worried about the future, what's going to happen, all in the ups and downs of daily family life and, and business and work. And you can be a saint there. And she and her husband became a saint exactly in those circumstances. Finished her visit with Pauline. Uh, she's gone to the monastery school to visit with her. And now she's describing what happens when she leaves the school and she goes to the train station and she sits in the waiting room waiting for the train to arrive. And the following happens. For three quarters of an hour, I was quiet and deep in thought, just sitting there with all the, she's just been with the daughter whom she loves. She's just alone with her thoughts. When I saw a brave woman with two little children arrive, one 29 months old and the other two months old, so very obviously young children. In addition, she had two enormous packages. So there she is, just waiting for her train. In comes this woman with two small children and loaded with more luggage, more than she can handle. So what do we do when we see a situation like that? Seeing her predicament, I left my thoughts to go help her. She was also going to Alençon and had been traveling for three days like this, even during the night. She was bringing these innocent creatures, it's uh, 60 miles, uh, 600 miles, 250 leagues or 600 miles, to place them with a wet nurse and her family not being able to keep them because of a job she has with her husband at the law courts in Valence. Now, this practice of wet nurses was widely um, spread at the time because women would have a number of children, they might have to work uh, to make ends meet for the family, and they would just be, un or for reasons of health, as was partly true in Zelie's case, they would look for uh, another woman to nurse the child through the first months of, of the child's life. In fact, this happens to Therese and a number of her sisters as well. A very painful thing uh, for the mother to have this kind of separation, but uh, in Zelie's case, accepted because um, she was afraid that she was not healthy herself at this point, that the daughters, her own daughters would not be sufficiently nourished were she to breastfeed them alone. So here is this uh, mother with these two young children uh, heading off on an errand which Zelie's uh, maternal heart feels it's very painful and trying to handle more than she can possibly handle as she's traveling day after day on the trains. I can't tell you what I suffered to see her abandoning these two poor little ones until the age of 10 when she would get them back. There's her mother's heart. And yet she looked like a good mother, but she has a lot more courage than I do because I would rather, much rather die than leave my children like this. She, on the contrary, didn't seem affected by it. Finally, I put myself to work helping this woman carry the children and the packages, but it was too much for two people. An employee, seeing our difficulty, took a child in his arms and put it in the compartment for women only. 
A woman who was already there made a harsh face when she saw the group of children enter the car. To cheer her up, I wanted to tell her the story of the long journey of this mother and her children, but she didn't answer me. Embarrassed, I said to myself, I absolutely have to know if she is or isn't a mute. Finally, I was able to make her say a few words. Then I was happy to see that she was neither deaf nor mute, and I left her in peace, that is, not completely, because we were taking care of both of the little babies. Now, she's describing all this, she does this in her letters. It's just being with her daughter, who is alone at the school, and and she writes these letters frequently, and she makes them at length. She'll just describe the little doings of things. Uh, So that's what she has in mind. She's sharing this for Pauline's sake, for her daughter's sake. While talking and rocking, we arrived in Alençon. I took the tiny baby who was well-wrapped and went into the waiting room. Your father was waiting for me there. He noticed the package, thought it was just a package she was holding, and wanted quickly to relieve me of it and he seemed quite surprised to see me with such a badly wrapped package. As he realized I wasn't letting go, he looked more closely and saw a little hand come out. I told him then that I'd found a little girl, and I'd brought her home. He didn't look too happy. Finally, the mother arrived. She'd stayed behind to check on her parcels. I carried the little girl to the woman's parents' house, and we didn't return home until midnight. So she gives up the rest of her day now to see that this woman is settled. As you see, my dear Pauline, I have the luck of always finding little children along my way. So I cite that just as one concrete illustration of an entire way of life. Her daughters knew, and they described this about her, she was constantly reaching out to the needs of others around her, other women who would be struggling in various ways like this. It paints such an incredible picture, doesn't it? I mean, the... The story alone of this afternoon waiting at a station and encountering a a complete um, other who is in such need in the depth of how it can affect our hearts. It would be easy to close off and just say, I I don't want to engage. I don't want to get involved. And yet she makes that... it can be painful, especially knowing the rest of the story of having to give up a child and or two children. And I don't know, I, how many of us want to enter into that kind of a story? Well, you know, just recently we had as a Sunday gospel the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that's really what it is. You know, two in one sense passed by without seeing the need. The third saw the need, interrupted his trip, and so on. It's also something that Pope Francis is continually proposing to us um, to reach out to those in need, to see the needs and reach out to them, not to pass by. Yes, it's demanding, very demanding. I also, as you raise this, will, will mention this, that it can almost be a little uncomfortable at times to read these letters when you see the extent to which uh, Zélie and her husband Louis would reach out to other people. Uh, it's it's a very beautiful thing. Therese herself picked this up from them. We'll see a little bit of that as we go along. I guess the point I was tr- trying to drive at, Father Gallagher, is that when you do that, there's a suffering. It is, it, it is a real piercing to enter into something like that. Because as a mother, as you were reading that story to me, I sat here and it hurt. It hurt to hear, I mean, literally, it hurt to hear it 
you want to grab those children and say, I'll take you home. I'll take care of you. But how much easier would it be just to say, no, I'm not even going to look because I, I don't want to be pierced like that. And not just for the Carmelites, but I think for the Christian, that's at that willingness to suffer. Well, it's one way of making that point that you can't delve into this sea of Therese and her family and, of course, her canonized parents uh, without very quickly touching what is heroic in the ordinary. And that's why I say I think this is such a uniquely powerful witness. Uh, those letters are such a, such a richness. St. Uh, Teresa of Calcutta said over and over again, uh, we're not really loving until it hurts. And she, that would be her invitation, love until it hurts. I used to wonder about that. But I think what you're saying now, what you're raising, uh, illustrates it just perfectly. Of course, if you look at Jesus, he did love until it hurt, you know, in the primary way. We'll continue this conversation with Father Timothy Gallagher in our next episode. You've been listening to The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Letters of St. Therese, The Letters of St. Therese of Lisieux with Father Timothy Gallagher.